This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down in life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And good Saturday morning to you out there in listener land. Welcome to Under the Dome with CD. And that's yours truly. And I'm absolutely loving being here for a lot of different reasons. One, the Astros up 2-0 in the ALDS. One step closer to punch their, their ticket into the ALCS against the Chicago White Sox, who are 0-4 in elimination games, which is always really cool to see that happen, especially when you're down to love. So I'm absolutely excited about that. And also I'm excited because, well, I'm here coming to you live, as I always do, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And, of course, I'm just absolutely loving being here with you. And if you're listening, however you're doing so, I appreciate you being through that tower of power that is 103.7 The Game. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. Of course, we also got us on the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com, Amazon Smart Speakers, a bunch of different ways to check us out. And we got two hours, and there's tons to get to. I don't know if we're going to get to all of it. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. You're damn right. We got the time. This is the place to kind of get down to brass tacks on the world of sports. And we do it each and every Saturday morning, and it's a perfect way to kind of start off the weekend it's kind of a perfect opportunity just to touch base and go old school promo style on the world of sports with your saturday sports sermon the famous cd is on his soapbox to start your saturday it's time for your saturday sports sermon I'll preface this by saying I'll never complain much about 4-1. and one. But I think there's plenty to complain about when it comes to this Cajuns team still having a lot to prove. They're on pace to achieve a lot of their goals this season. I think we can all agree there. But it hasn't been pretty. In fact, I'd say, to steal a phrase from JR, good old Jim Ross, it's been bowling shoe ugly. I'd go as far as to say that their performance through five games has been subpar. Here's the thing, though. I'm happy. This team is 4-1 and one because of the fact that it's, well, they're 4-1. It could be a lot worse. Go look at LSU and tell me you would you would love to be 4-1 and one with some crappy Ws and not be where you're at right now and where things could be headed. We'll save LSU talk for a little bit later on in the program. But things aren't hitting in the right direction over there. Things are... Staying in the right direction. They're staying the course. They're 4-1 right now heading into App State. But here's the thing. They should be boat racing certain teams. 
I go back to the Nickel State game. I was there watching it, and it was literally the most depressing kind of game because you knew this should have been the Cajuns rolling, steam rolling an opponent, especially an FCS opponent. All due respect to Nickel State. They could barely they had a hard time tackling Lindsey Lindsay Scott Jr. There was a lot of things that I was just like, concerned about. Lo and behold, they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get the W. They barely got the W there. Then you dominate. They Their one boat race was the Ohio game, but that was expected because Ohio is just absolute like bottom barrel type team. You had South Alabama on the ropes in the first quarter last Saturday. Watched the whole game. And I sat there. I was like, what is going on here? First off, Chris Smith damn near runs one back for a touchdown on the opening kickoff. The opening kickoff. That alone is enough to kind of put the fear of God in a lot of different teams. Then you see them get a touchdown. They force a couple three and outs and just destroy the Jaguars' defensive line with their run game. Amani Bailey, a phenomenal running back. They didn't necessarily use him a whole lot as the game progressed. And here's the crazy part. Just in terms of what you would typically do in a ball game, you would say, we're up by almost three touchdowns. I believe it was 20 to nothing at one point. You'd think, you know, stick with what's working. You know, just run the football. It's a wet game. Go ahead and take advantage of that. And the fact you're just destroying their defensive line with that, tear them up on, with the run game. Eat up some clock. That was going to be something that would have been huge and be able to make this game a statement victory. But now... It sits there as a reminder of, you know, what might have been. Because if not for some missed field goals, the Cajuns could have won that one handily. But you can say the same for South Alabama, because if they hadn't missed that chip shot field goal, the Cajuns were going to be 3-2 and two heading into that bye week and into the big game against App State. I just felt like, and I thought about today, this, is the, this was the reverse Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl coaching the San Francisco 49ers because when he should have been trying to put up more points on the board instead of eating up clock and it didn't pay off and the Chiefs roll back in, they did the exact opposite and decided to start throwing the ball and giving South Alabama more opportunities. And once South Alabama was able to realize, hey, we're going to go ahead and gash him the secondary and go for the deep ball a lot more, that's what killed them. That's what killed their momentum dead in the tracks. And it makes you wonder, What's it going to take for this team to really get that statement win? And the next opportunity is just about 90 hours from right now. But we'll get to that in a second. The West is down this year, which I think is a godsend for the Louisiana Raging Cages because their division is going to be a virtual lock now that you beat South Alabama. They were the only real threat on paper. Yellow Monroe is still, you're still trying to figure them out. They had a really good start to the season. Can they keep that going? It's the same kind of conversation we have all the time about one team in particular, and that's South Alabama. They've been consistently inconsistent for years. Can K and Womack kind of right the ship there? Texas State is just Texas State. Arkansas State's going through a big rebuilding phase with one Butch Jones at the helm. It's going to take some time. But this Tuesday, there has to be an A game by this Cajuns team when they take on App State. Because last time around, you beat them, but it was a bowling shoe ugly game. I'm going to go ahead and say that phrase again. It's a bowling shoe ugly game that was marred 
by an awful special teams performance in the middle of a monsoon, a lot of bad snaps that could have very well have cost you, but you still came away with the W in the most unusual of ways in the last week of the season after the game was pushed back due to COVID. But every time the Cajuns play the Mountaineers at home, they lay an egg. They had a defensive battle against App State and looked like the better team for probably 90% of that. Then App State had a drive that took up about over 10, 12 minutes of game time. It was a methodical, like, bleeding of the clock. And if you can't get those wins, it's going to be tough sledding if you're a fan of the Cajuns want to see this team kind of get to that next level. And you can call me out of touch. You can call me just not wanting wanting too much. But I kind of go back to the original Mighty Ducks movie. And I think about the words of the coach that was the villain of it, Jack Riley. I go back to this phrase all the time. And I think when it comes to making statements and making it like a making it clear that you are better than everybody else in your division, in your conference, in your league, in the world of college football. It's getting wins and getting wins convincingly. It's not worth winning if you can't win. You're right. It's it's not worth winning to a certain extent if you can't win big. We see that with Alabama. Alabama, no matter who they play, Nick Saban gets mad whenever they don't whip up on a team. So to a certain extent, Nick Saban is Jack Riley in Mighty Ducks. It's not worth winning if you can't win. And that's how I am when it comes to the teams that I watch and the teams that I'm going to root for. I want to see statements be made on the field, not just win by three points and move on, especially this year. Because you got to realize this is a year where people are starting to pay a lot more attention to one Billy Napier. And if Billy Napier continues to do this, I think his stock is going to go down. Now that's going to keep him around with the Cajuns, which is great. But I think for him, he needs to have that big statement. And while App State isn't the App State team we saw a few years ago, this is a game where you have all this extra time to prepare. And I'm almost certain the last week or so has been, as I like to put it, ass chewing time. Players have been getting chewed out all week. Making sure that they are getting things in order. Getting their house in order. Now let's see them get it done. Maybe I'm selfish for wanting big wins. But when you think about the level that we thought they were heading into this season, back before the season started, I said this team needed to be acknowledged. Now they have to prove they're worthy of being that head of the table, not just in the Sun Belt West, but the entire conference. Because you've still got Coastal Carolina, who, by the way, is living up to their expectations and boat racing opponents left, right, and sideways. Makes you wonder how that's going to go when those two teams face off in December. Because it feels like we're at a collision course for that. Unless, of course, Jamie Chadwell and crew suddenly come up with a case of COVID. But about 92 hours from right now, they have a golden opportunity to make a statement. I think Cajun Nation also has a statement to make. Every time I see the numbers for attendance, the home opener looked great. I'd say it was one of the best attended games I've seen in a little while. Now, mind you, yes, it's an in-state opponent. Those always draw. But I was pleased with what I saw, especially from the student section. They stuck around, and more importantly, they showed up. That's more than I can say for a lot of games 
the last few years. Yes, there's free parking now. Yes, there's all these different accoutrements. And you don't have to worry about, you know, having a vac vaccinations and all that stuff. We're not going to get into that whole thing. But, you know, it's a positive. It's a plus. And there's an opportunity for you to go enjoy some college football on a Tuesday night and pretty much at the highest level. So get your butts out there and go pull for your team to win a ball game. Not just win a ball game in my mind, but again, win big. It's not worth winning if you can't win And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We'll take a quick timeout momentarily. And when we come back, district play is officially underway in high school football. And we'll take a detailed look across the Acadiana area next. And also, we got coming on the program in about 15 minutes, Derek Kelly of Cat's Paws, which is part of 24-7 Sports. We'll get a preview of LSU Kentucky from the Wildcats' perspective at 1030 we got a whole lot more coming your way, so keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Man, that's put me in a really good mood because earlier this week, man, I I was so glad to be able to have an opportunity to go cover the KISS concert. And if you missed it, we have some photos up on our Facebook page, 103.7 The Game. Just go ahead and search that. Of course, that's if Facebook's actually working right now because you know this week's definitely been not the best week in the world for that social media platform. But there's a lot of other positives I think we can kind of get to here on the show. And one of those things is like the fact that like they had a phenomenal show. Open up with Detroit Rock City. Being in the pit for that song was possibly one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever had. Because you got the pyro going off, you got the flames. Basically, it feels like the room just gets about 200 degrees hotter. I was like, whoa. And just doing that while also trying to take pictures was wildly entertaining. But maybe that's a different conversation for a different show. I'll kind of save that more probably for the Cajun Strong Style podcast, which you can check out well, however you get your podcast. Just search Cajun Strong Style on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or even Spotify, just like this show. We had Derek Kelly of Cat's Paws join the program in about 10 minutes or so. But, it, of course, it's time to kind of spend some a few minutes looking at the world of high school football last night because it was a highly entertaining slate of games. District play officially opening up last night. So let's get into that right now. It's going to be a tough physical ball game. And this was a tough physical ball game. Acadiana High beating Como 65-27. The Reckon Rams are back. Barb beat Sam Houston 49-35. Lafayette High taking care of business and rolled past Lafayette, excuse me, New Iberia 37-14. The Mighty Lions get a nice win over the Yellow Jackets. Southside beats Sulphur 34-21. Rain 
Pulls past Eunice 20 to 14. North Vermilion rolls past LaGrange 42 to 14 to open up district play. Washington Mary beats Jenner at 38 14. Carecrow doubles up on Turling's Catholic. You heard me right. 60 to 30. 60 to 30. I was blown away by that. Opelousas beats Northside 14 to 12. Nail by there. Westgate rolls. Past St. Thomas Moore, Sands, Walker, Howard, 41-13. Beauchene beats Livonia, 56-20. Cecilia beats Brobridge, 25-6. Church Point beats Iota, 43-6. Mamu beats Ville Platte, 44-12. Northwest defeats Pine Prairie, 48-26. St. Martinville beats Abbeville, 27-24. The previously undefeated Wildcats are no longer after St. Martinville comes away with a nice win open up district play. Crowley, 53-20 win over Port Berry. Erath beats Kaplan, 35-24. Lafayette Christian Academy shuts out Lake Arthur, 49-0. Notre Dame beats Welsh, 47-7. Crowley beats Port Berry, 53-20. Top of that second ago. Ascension Episcopal beats Delcom, 42-7. Lorville beats Catholic High, New Iberia, 41-zip. Franklin beats West St. Mary, 30-6. You also had Sacred Heart of Ville Platte beat Cavagai Point Capee 36-12, tripling up on him. Wow. Then you have fireworks going on against North Central and Westminster Christian. Westminster Christian rolled to a 62-30 win. My goodness, we'll talk about that game in just a few. But Opelousas Catholic, they beat St. Ed 42-7. They are getting it done. They're getting they're making hay while the getting's good right now. Centerville Lost to Central Catholic shutout, 41-0. Highland Baptist beat Covenant Christian, 28-9. And Vermilion Catholic beat Hanson Memorial, 56-20. Definitely a fun Friday night in the world of high school football. The only other game that's involving an Acadiana area or Acadiana area adjacent team because it technically is in 7-2A. Homa Christian taking on Thomas Jefferson. That'll be later today, I believe 2 o'clock kickoff. I know they're having a lot more early games on a Saturday because the aftermath of Hurricane Ida is still affecting the Homa area. But, man, highly entertaining Friday Night Lights. We'll start off looking at some of the more notable games, some of the, my big takeaways. Carrico steamrolled Turlings, and it was a big surprise because, again, Turlings previously unbeaten. What well, I got the final score from the board off for Carrico football. I got K, good friend of mine. I had to have him repeat that. I was like, wait, what did you say? Like, run that back. I want to make sure I heard this right. Or a Stone Cold would say, what? I was like, seriously, 60 to 30? This is a turning scene that was undefeated heading into the district play, and they look good. And it's a massive game in terms of getting a leg up on the rest of the district since it feels pretty wide open. Because Turling's unbeaten, but yet STM, they're a little bit on a down year, like in a rare down year at that. Turlings, they were looking up to go up three scores, and then momentum swung entirely in the Golden Bears' favor after a scoop and score off of a bad snap and ended up with Carrico doubling up on the Rebels and head, headed back down to exit four with a nice W, headed back down to Butcher Switch Road with a nice win over a district opponent. Speaking of STM, Westgate just flat out outplayed the Cougars on Friday night, and without Walker Howard, it was not a great night for a program that headed into the season. The aspirations, and I'd say the expectations, were a three-peat. Lo and behold, the expectations have had to change a lot, 
And now without Walker Howard, potentially six to eight weeks. Talk with Cookie Riley yesterday while I was filling in for David Grubb yesterday on Crunch Time. I was saying, hey, this is a really cool situation, seeing how other guys are going to work out. They've still got to figure some things. Because they have sophomore quarterbacks leading the way, and it's two of them. And hopefully they learn more about which ones work better. Because the biggest question you always have, and you know the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you got none. And that's kind of where it's at for this program. Can they be a team that not just says, hey, we got one quarterback and here's who we're going to go with, but also, you know, you're kind of working towards the future now. Like, you're wanting to see who is going to be your guy, not just for this season, but next season. This is an opportunity for those guys to really get some reps and build some rapport with a lot of these younger guys. So S-Team has to figure out a lot of different things, and it's in short order. Meanwhile, in Vermilion Parish, I think we had probably one of the most entertaining games of the year in that area. Kaplan, Erath, this was a showcase and some big surprises. Kaplan, they are, they are there throwing the football. Nobody, expect, even the commentators last night on 106.3 Radio Lafayette didn't see it coming, and the Pirates were throwing the football, looking good, fought hard, but Erath came away with a nice victory to open up district play. Vermilion Parish has seen a lot of great football this season. This may have been the best game I've I've heard while running the board for the Vermilion Parish game of the week all season over on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. Westminster Christian, North Central. If over-unders were a thing in high school football, I guarantee you they would have shattered that hypothetical number. It would have been well under 90 points. They put up a combined 92. Westminster Christian rolled to a 62-30 win, but I think all we're talking about is the fact they damn near put up a century between the two. I was blown away by that. And if you love high school football that's fast and furious and it's score, 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 reminiscent of maybe some Big 12 or Pac-12 after dark type stuff, this was a game that if you're listening, you need to keep your head on a swivel because every five seconds it felt like somebody was putting up points on the board. I talked about Acadia and high. I think they are back to top form. They had a really good W over the Como Spartans last night. And when you look at the Reckon Rams, they had an incredibly difficult non-conference sleep. I think we can all agree with that. Not not district, I should say. Why am I writing non-conference? It's not college. It's districts. It's classifications and districts. But still, you were one and two. You had a tough loss to Catholic I Baton Rouge and a nail-biter against the Catholic I of Baton Rouge. And you, if not for a botched punt, who knows how that game against the Karen Golden Bears was going to go to open up the season. And I think they made a statement and showing, hey, they can still make a ton of things work for them in District 358. They had a beatdown of the Como Spartans. And what's crazy is the numbers that they've been putting up. So I did the research. The Reckon Rams in the first three weeks of the season, they had scores of 9, 0, and 13. Yes, 9, 13, 9, 0, and 13, respectively. They were shut out in week two against the Catholic High Baton Rouge, and they only put up 13 against Lafayette High in that loss. Here's what they've put up the last three weeks against Como, Southside, and Sulphur. They've put up 145 points. 
Like, it's a couple points shy of 100 points outscoring their opponents. That's impressive as all get out. I can remember a few years ago I kept tabs on this, but Lafayette Christian Academy was boat racing people left, right, and sideways. I believe they had almost 100 points outscoring just in terms of the overall season, if not more. I I think in some cases they had maybe two to 300 points in terms of your point differential, which plays large into how standings work. But they've been boat racing opponents. And this is a statement, hey, Acadia and I isn't going away anytime soon. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. And when we come back, we're going to get some perspective on the University of Kentucky, a scene setter, if you will, in Lexington with Derek Terry Catspaws, part of 24-7 Sports. We'll get to that next. You're listening to 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, and it was definitely a party out in Kentucky last weekend after the big win over the Florida Gators, and Kentucky's definitely looking to make it two in a row tonight when they take on the LSU Tigers, and we got to get to that right now. We got on the 103.7 The Game hotline, he's a beat reporter for the 24-7 Sports Network, part of Cat's Paws, and also co-host of the Kentucky Daily Podcast part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. That is Derek Terry. Derek, how you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing pretty darn well on a Saturday. Obviously, we got college football getting ready to start up in just a little while. But just what has this last week been like for the Wildcats? Because you pull off a massive upset against Dan Mullen and the Florida Gators, and the vibe just changes virtually overnight where like people are going crazy. Walk a flock of flames out there celebrating. <laughs> We're probably talk about that a little bit more later. But how much has the vibe changed in Lexington, a school that's definitely traditionally a lot more of a college basketball program, but it looks like this football team starting to make a little bit more waves. Yeah, I mean, I actually think there was um there has been a feeling with the UK's program that uh that they should have been beating Florida more than what they have been. You go back to 2017 and 2019, and UK was up double digits in the fourth quarter, both those games against the Gators and uh, backup quarterbacks in both instances. So especially 2019, Kyle Trask kind of became on, you know, he came onto the scene that game. He came in and led a fourth quarter comeback. So, you know, I think around here in the preseason, there was, you know, there's, I'm not going to say they're meeting expectations. They're, they're probably, I don't know that I would have had them starting 5-0, and but I think everyone felt like there was a good chance they would they would beat Missouri and South Carolina. So I would say that mostly the season's kind of lining up the way that people had hoped that it would, uh, maybe not the way that they expected it to. I don't know that, I mean, listen, we do not beat a team like Florida at home since 1986. I don't know that you ever really go in thinking you're going to win. But now that that's kind of been lifted from the program, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think people are absolutely excited. I think to follow up uh, a game against Florida with a traditional power like LSU, you know, you have Keeneland. The races are they've started up this weekend. Um, it's 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 going to be you know you got a night game, seven thirty Eastern. I mean, it's you know people are fired up for sure. And how big is that? As I know, you part of twenty four seven sports, so you definitely cover a lot more of the recruiting perspective. How much has that kind of gotten into the into some of these recruits and these targets that Kentucky wants to be like, hey? Look at what we just did. Look at what we're starting to build here. Because Mark Stoops, I think, is starting to build a lot of momentum. He's been slowly getting in that towards that direction. But how huge was that to kind of really put that feather in the cap? Because we look back at, from the LSU perspective, after that Georgia game, you get somebody like John Emery Jr. to basically flip his commitment overnight after the way LSU manhandled Georgia. Being able to see, like, let's say you had some recruits visit over there last week and they saw that performance, like, I want to be part of this. Yeah, um, that, that's already happened. Uh, 2023 running back, Caden Mormon, he's a three-star. He's a local kid. He's from Frankfurt, which is just right down the road from Lexington. He uh, set his commitment date. There wasn't really any kind of drama with it, and he committed yesterday. And um, there's, you know, once this happened a little bit in 2020, uh, well, I actually was a, uh, it was the 2020 recruiting class, but it was the 2018 season that laid a lot of groundwork for that. But, you know, you had guys that visited uh, for the Florida game back in 2019. Um, I said the 2018 season, I meant 2019. Uh, the 2020 was their best recruiting class ever, and a lot of the guys who were there, I mean, that was after UK won 10 games in 2018. They played Florida early in the year. They didn't win that game, but it was a great environment, and it kind of laid the groundwork. So I think for this class, with Kentucky off the 5 and 0 start, there's already been two names that have popped up. Uh, four-star linebacker Daniel Martin, he's from Georgia. Um, I don't know that UK necessarily has an end there, but they've done a pretty good job historically with Georgia linebackers. Uh, Jamin Davis last year just went in the first round. Uh, Bud Dupree from a few years back, if you remember him. I think he plays for the Titans now. He was another Georgia linebacker, so they're trying to sell that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they really have a great shot at this kid, but Sam McCall, who uh, is a top 50 player, committed to Florida State told uh, 24-7 yesterday that he's going to try to get up and visit UK, that he had plans to. And there was uh, some kind of some scuttlebutt that there's going to be a big visitor today. I don't know if it's going to be him or not. But, yeah, I mean, it obviously makes it a lot easier to get these really talented kids on campus whenever you can beat teams like Florida and then, you know, a chance to come in and watch UK play, but not just UK. I mean, you get to watch them play an opponent like LSU. I think that helps a lot. Talking now, Derek Kelly, Cat's Paws, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And one of the big things that I've been able to take away from watching some film this week was the challenge I think Wandale Robinson is going to present. He's squaring up against an LSU secondary that allowed Bo Nix to just throw all over the place and currently leading the SEC in receiving yards through five games. What kind of challenge is he going to present? Well, he's a great player. He really is. I mean, he in terms of a dynamic playmaker, he's about as good as I've seen at UK over the last few years. Lynn Bowden was very good, but they're a little bit different. You know, Bowden was six foot one, six foot two, whatever, and you know, Wandell's a kind of small, shifty. You know, very doesn't have like elite top end speed, but is the kind of guy that you know. I don't know if you saw a screen pass touchdown against Florida last week. I mean, it was you know he caught it some pretty quick. Juke moves and he was gone. Made a couple of guys miss there at the end. Um, the problem for UK is he is pretty much the only real wide receiver threat. Uh, who you, you would consider to be the number two guy, Josh Ali, he's out this week with a knee injury, so he's not playing. So, you know, with this offense, with, with Liam Cohen coming in, there was thought that the tight ends would be a big part. 
they've really not been in the passing game, but really no one outside of Wondell has been. I mean, Will Levis has gotten the ball to him a lot. I think he obviously gets open more than the other guys because he's much better than the other wide receivers on DK's roster. So I'll be curious. I mean, I think the supporting cast for LSU's offense at wide receiver is definitely better, but it's uh, it's similar to me just on paper looking like Butte is, is for sure the best player in that wide receiver group. And if you're UK, like, you, you want to do everything you can for Butte to not be the guy that beats you. And I think for, for LSU's defense, it probably needs to be the same way. If you're going to lose to Kentucky tonight, don't let it be because Wondell Robinson had a big night. And, you know, obviously we're talking about the wide receiver core. I think we need to kind of flip it over to the guys in the run game. Chris Rodriguez has been the bell cow for this program. How do you think he'll be a critical role in tonight's contest? Yeah, he's been very good. Um, well, he's had some fumble issues this year, which he had a tad bit at the beginning of his freshman year, and then he didn't have a fumble for a very long time. And then this year he put it on the on the ground twice against South Carolina. They recovered both times, um, which was good for him, I guess. But whenever he's holding on to the football and he's running downhill, I mean, he's he's a tough back. He's, he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's not someone who's going to outrun a lot of defenses. He's not someone who's going to, you know, be real shifty, but he – He's kind of got kind of ways on you over a game, I think. When you you know he's getting the ball twenty something times and he's hitting guys over and over. I mean, I think he's someone that as the game goes on gets a little bit better. And uh, Kavasi Smoke is their backup. He's been uh, he's been pretty solid in that backup role. He's he's someone who is a little shiftier, maybe a little bit more top end speed, but still not someone you would consider a burner. But uh, one guy I'll be curious to see if he gets more involved this week is Jatan McLean, who was. Uh, suspended the first four games. He was part of a legal investigation. Those charges got dropped um, a couple weeks ago. They only had him in for one offensive play against Florida, but he was someone in the preseason who was involved in a lot of their offense. Um, so I'll be curious. I kind of feel like, especially Josh Ali out, that you're going to see him have a much bigger role tonight. And he's kind of a running back slash wide receiver type. He's, he's pretty versatile. Talk right now with Derek Terry, part of the Cats Paws. Web page is part of 24-7 Sports, also hosts the Kentucky Daily Podcast, part of Blue Wire's podcast network. And, you know, obviously one of the big storylines heading into this game is obviously, you know, you have former linebacker Dare Rosenthal coming over, transferring from LSU to Kentucky. Now he's going to be playing against his former team just a few months removed from all the stuff that he was dealing with behind the scenes. How excited is he to kind of be able to play against his former team? Well, he was pretty coy about it this week. I mean, he. Uh, so I think it's the first time. Obviously, the COVID things have been different. We're still doing interviews in person, but it's a little bit more limited than what it used to be pre-pandemic. But I want to say that was the first time uh, that I can remember talking to him, and he was pretty quiet. Didn't really, you know, he certainly didn't have any kind of bulletin board material. He was something very respectful. I mean, it sounds, and you guys might even know more than me about that departure from LSU, but it all sounded very. Uh, professional on everybody's end i mean it doesn't sound like there was really any bad blood there so i'm sure a lot of those guys that he'll be playing against this weekend are still some of his best friends but with that said he's a you know louisiana kid playing against a school that he used to play for i'm sure there's definitely some motivation there to come out and play well against those guys but he's been pretty good for uk this year um got banged up a little bit against south carolina but finished up the game and came back out last week and did a pretty good job so he was someone that, you know, Kentucky has Darian Kennard, who a lot of people think will be, uh, I think he's probably in that top 60 pick range this year. Um, 
who was going to play left tackle, but Dare came in and his experience at LSU playing left tackle, I think helped him a lot. And it was pretty clear that he was the better choice there. So adding him to this team definitely strengthened the uh, a position that I would say was already a strength for this team, but uh, he's been a really good addition and he's someone who, uh, you know, like Kelvin Joseph last year comes in and, and has, has certainly made the team better. Hey, we're talking about the defense. Might as well flip over to that. Cause like you might be surprised the listeners at home who haven't necessarily paid a lot of attention to just sec wide, but I was looking it up before the show just to make sure of this, but Kentucky's ranked currently third in the SEC in total defense, but you got to remember, like over the last four years, they've been a team that's consistently in the top four in total defense. What's been the key for their success under Mark Stoops? Well, you know, going back to 2018, that defense was, you know, that was one of the ones you could say they had the luxury of having, you know, a lot of high-end college talent, NFL talent too. I mean, Mike Edwards was a safety on that team. They were an old defense, too, in 2018. I mean, they had guys who had gone through those struggles early in their careers. And Josh Allen was obviously a top-ten pick. Mike Edwards, uh, Lonnie Johnson, a cornerback, all those guys were, were top-three-round draft picks. So they had really good talent on that team. And then 2019, you know, it was kind of the bridge year. Um, and what they really made an emphasis of that year, I think the stats got skewed a little bit because it was one of those weird years where they played in a lot of bad weather games. I want to say it rained in like four of their games that year, which uh, I can't even really remember it raining in one game a lot of the other seasons. So the passing numbers that year, I think probably looked better than what they really were. And it took a dip last year. But this year, and what they've done under Brad White and Mark Stoops, they've done a great job not allowing big plays. I think I saw a stat they've only allowed one play this year for more than 30 yards through the year. And with LSU, I mean, I know that that's a, it's a big part of their offense is, is hitting the deep ball because, you know, they've struggled around the ball this year. But connecting on deep shots through the air, it's something that's been really important for that offense. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to me. Um, in terms of the run game, I would say something to watch if, if you're an LSU fan. I know that they still want to have a commitment to running the ball. And for Kentucky, uh, Marquand McCall, their senior nose guard, which in this 3-4 defense is one of the most important positions because they occupy space. They let the linebackers come through and make plays. Um, he's out. He, he had an injury against Florida. He's out for, I mean, at least a month, I think, if not longer. So you have two guys, two sophomores, Josiah Hayes, who is from Mississippi. He was an Ole Miss commit before he flipped to UK. And then Justin Rogers, who is the highest-ranked player on the team. He was uh, – Five-star kid on Rivals. He's a high four-star with us on 24-7. He was, when he committed to UK, the third highest-ranked player ever to sign with Kentucky. So he's a highly-rated recruit. So that's kind of the one position that up here a lot of people are talking about because it's, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of the sign of growth in recruiting that you could lose your senior nose guard and the guys that are there to step up are both high four-star kids. So I will be interested, though, because it's their first start, seeing how they kind of respond to so an LSU team that I'm sure is going to want to at least establish the run. All right. I got one more for you about the actual game. Then we'll get to something else a little fun to end it. How do you see this contest going for the Wildcats? And if you feel emboldened enough, what's your prediction? I'll pick the UK win. but that's, Sorry, I said my cat just been on there. I'll pick the UK win, but I don't I don't know that I feel great about it. Um uh, I don't I don't really know how it's gonna go. I mean I don't I don't I'm not really buying into this emotional letdown that I think some people are saying after the Florida win. Because deep down, like I said, I really think that there had been a thought within that program that they should have been beating Florida anyway. So I don't I don't 
necessarily view it as some huge upset last weekend. I mean, was it an upset? Sure. I mean, Florida looked really good against Alabama. That was the only time that they had lost. Um, but UK found a way. But, I mean, I feel like they thought that they should have been winning those games regardless. Um, but with LSU, I mean, just from what I've read, it seems like going to be a pretty desperate team for Orgeron. Um, I think that part of it would make you feel a little uneasy. I think I saw a stat there's something like 16-1 and one coming off of a loss under uh, Orgeron. So, I mean, you got to pay attention to those stats. But I don't know. I mean, Kentucky's passing game, I think if they can get it figured out, I think if they can establish the run, they got a great chance. But uh, I'll pick the U.K. win, but that's, I don't necessarily feel great about it. And the last thing I want to kind of get to is you've had a recent episode of your Kentucky Daily Podcast, and I, this time I didn't realize. I was wondering what the connection was with Waka Flocka Flame while he, why he was out there celebrating, out there enjoying himself at a Kentucky game. Little did I know, a Lexington native actually helped mix and record Grove Street Party, which we've heard at one point or another in any college football stadium across the country. And I've heard it about 50,000 times at Cajun Field, and I never get tired of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was uh that was a connection I didn't even know about until uh last Saturday. I mean it was like funny to me that I mean they had Waka Flock out there with the tunnel, you know, when that song came on, he kinda led the team out, which was yeah, I think Waka Flocka is a uh I think he's a Georgia guy. Yeah. He's a pretty big Bulldogs fan. So uh you know I don't know what you know, the um his name is Finest White, who helped produce the song. He grew up in Lexington, big UK fan. And, uh, you know, he said he's been trying to get Waka to go up there because, you know, that song, it's kind of like a, like you said, it's played everywhere. But for whatever reason, it really became like an anthem for UK football in 2014. And uh, people really picked up on it when they made it to the Citrus Bowl a few years ago. It's what they ran out to out of the tunnel. So, you know, I think uh, Finus had been telling Waka that it was a pretty big deal up there and he should go check it out. And I guess he got the chance to and, uh, I would say for, for him, I mean, it kind of lined up perfectly because they pull the upset, fans storm the field, and he's just kind of out there partying with them. So I'm sure it was a pretty cool memory for him. It was a cool memory for the players to have. But, yeah, I mean, it was kind of it was kind of funny how it all came together because, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't explain to you why that that song became such a big deal for U.K. fans. But I guess it's kind of the thing with a lot of traditions. They just kind of happen, and, and people pick up on it, and they go from there. It's not like jump around. It's House of Pain based out of Boston, and yet it just yeah. caught on in Wisconsin. But thank you so much, my man, for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks for having me. I'll see you later. All right. That was Derek Terry. Appreciate him coming on the program. When we come back, we'll wrap up the hour with some of my favorite picks for this weekend. We'll do that next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037 thegamecom under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, yeah. who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And quick recap of what happened last weekend. Three and two over the weekend, 12 and 25 overall. Got eliminated in the Survivor League. Thanks to the Saints. They kind of ruined things for me on that end. Bad call in the overs, by the way, last weekend. So I'll apologize for that and move on 
to this weekend slate. We'll start off Georgia covering over Auburn. Chalk as hell, but I don't think Auburn gets even close to UGA. Uga, got to get it done. Bulldogs a million times better than Bo Nix's Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsman. Then I got Florida State covering against UNC. This is a plus 17-point spread. I have a rule of thumb when picking some of these games, and one of those is three-possession spreads are just begging to be taken. No matter how crappy a team is, it feels like it's easy money, three possessions or more. I think this is one you definitely need to pick and could probably make some money on. This one I feel like is almost a mortal lock. Under in UConn versus Mass, there's no reason other than the over-under that anyone should really care about this contest. Two winless teams, and the Wikipedia page has an unfortunate you know, photo on the top of that page. Similar to when Baylor and Texas Tech face off, the rivalry where it's BU and then the TT logo, and you kind of put that two and two together there. I think there's a chance this could be 0-0 at 0-0 at the end of regulation. So look at the NFL side of things. I'm going to go two picks here. Detroit covers against Minnesota. That's a plus 10-point spread. Lions have had closed ball games, but I don't think like Minnesota's really that good, so that feels like it's easy money there. Then you have Denver versus Pittsburgh. Denver's currently one-and-a-half-point favorites. That is easy money. I think this spread should be way higher because Pittsburgh like, just isn't necessarily isn't living up to the hype at all. They've been looking absolutely anemic at certain points on offense. Easy money. If you're still in the Survivor League, take New England over Houston. And I'm about to take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more right here on 103.7 The Game. Under the Dome of CDs, Hour 2 is coming up next. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down in life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, hour two of two. And you better enjoy it, drink it in, because we won't be here next week. Thanks to LSU Florida being an 11 o'clock kick. The famous CD will have the weekend off, and I'm looking forward to that. But, of course, we're coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, opulent, first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And I appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Be it through the 103.7 The Game mobile app, the .com, your favorite smart speakers, Alexa, Google Home, or better yet, you know, if you're listening to us, through that tower of power that is the FM dial. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And we're getting geared up for a great slate of college football. They're about to get underway in just a few. Have it on inside the studios. And that is Oklahoma, Texas. Have that game coming up. I've, I've got to say, this is a golden opportunity for Texas to get one over on an Oklahoma team that has absolutely been suspect a little bit this season. They're like 
Oklahoma is definitely on a like precipice right now. Like they're on thin ice because they've lost games by very narrow margins. So I wouldn't be surprised if Texas could get this big win. Now, if Texas does win, does that mean they're back? No, I'm not saying they're back until they actually are back. Because every time I say that they seem to be, they fall apart. So I'm going to say no. They've got to prove themselves a lot more. But beating Oklahoma would be a huge step in the right direction. And the fact you only have one loss, and it was earlier on in the season, against a pretty darn good team. I think at the end of the day, you take that momentum and ride with it because I can't think of anybody else that's really going to make Texas really sweat. Now, mind you, last week they eked out a win, but this is a huge contest. They win this one, they immediately start moving up into the conversation of potentially a college football playoff or a New Year's Six. For the first year under Steve Sarkeesian, that's massive. Now, we're going to see how it all kind of boils down in just a few. They're about to kick off. And I got to say, they, it seems like it is a hype environment out in Dallas, as it should be. And I didn't put this in the Fave 5 just because it feels like it's almost like too easy. These games almost every year are high scoring. I didn't even look at the over-under, but I'd say if you didn't already, take the over. I try to avoid the 11 o'clock games in terms of bets because, well, I'm on the air from 10 to noon, and it's hard for you to kind of place bets right now. If we were live from a sports book, it would be a different story, but... That's a bridge we'll probably cross to cross over down the road. But I want to start off hour number two looking at the world of baseball because, number one, I'm happy right now because the Houston Astros are currently up 2-0 and looking like they could very well come away with a huge sweep of the Chicago White Sox. They'll be playing tomorrow at 7 o'clock, 7.07 to be precise, tomorrow. You'll hear that on News Talk 98.5 because, well, we got the NFL on Westwood one leading up to Sunday night football. But if game four is necessary, you'll hear that on Monday afternoon right here on this fair station. The game five if necessary. That'll be a Wednesday night. I'm almost certain that's going to be right here on this station once again, but definitely a really fun slate of ball games coming up down the pike. I mean, it's a, such a fun time. I saw somebody last night say, the words I'm like, we can never say again. This word is on this phrase is unacceptable. There's too much sports. I saw that last night and I'm like, no, that statement is forever banned. There's too much sports going on right now. That is a statement I cannot I co-sign ever again. We were without sports for about three months last year. I can I can say unequivocally, I want more sports. I want more. But when it comes to the Astros. I think there's just one thing that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few days. And it's something that has been boiling up inside of me for months. Why the hell aren't they paying Carlos Correa? I get it. They don't want to pay people tons and tons and tons and tons of money. I'm sorry. You need to pay Carlos Correa. You need to be like in the movie Rounders. You need to do this, man. Come on now. Pay him. Pay that man his money. You got to pay this man. He has been putting up some great numbers for this team, and he's been a great part of this organization. You saw on the last game of the regular season, game 162, which it was like that got into my craw a lot. They It was basically like senior night. 
I understand why they did it because it could be one of the last games they ever plays in an Astros uniform. But it should have never gotten to this point. You should be hurrying up, like, during this time frame, start negotiations with him to stick around. Because I think he's been an absolutely amazing player. I'm amazed that this is the way this team wants to go. Now, we haven't heard anything from either side about the state of their union. But you can about imagine things are very contentious. Let's just put it that way. Things are probably a little bit like contentious for this program, for this franchise. But I think the money there is absolutely massive. And you can't pass up an opportunity to take this money and pay him. You've already gotten him back to the Brinks truck for a lot of different players. And I know you just did that for Justin Verlander a couple years ago, and then look what happened. He only played really one year, and then he got hurt. And now his career is largely donezo because he's still got a lot of things left, but I think he's done with the Houston Astros, if not permanently. I know they're trying to get negotiations going with him again, but you should be focusing more on the guy that's getting things done for you on the field rather than the guy that you had that was looking great on the field last year or two years ago, but now is a shell of his former self coming off a Tommy John surgery at the age that he is. That's pain. And I just, I'm not sold on this franchise doing the right thing and re-signing Carlos Correa. Pay that man his money has been something a lot of people have said, and I'm going to co-sign that because what he's done for this franchise. He's become like the one of the biggest stars on a team that just about 7 years ago 70 almost a decade ago at least, they were wait for it, 100 losses. They were hitting 100 losses with regularity. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, and Alex Bregman are your holy trinity of getting that team from out of the doldrums and into a World Series trophy. Yes, the World Series trophy is tainted due to the controversy of banging on the trash cans. I completely understand where you're coming from from that perspective. But a counterpoint here. I think that Carlos Correa may be one of the best all-around guys on that Astros roster. Yes, you got Carlos Correa. Excuse me, Jose Altuve, and he is an absolute beast at the plate. He held several batting titles during some of those quote-unquote lean years, those years where you weren't making it to the World Series, when you made it to the wild card rounds, and you had to play in that one game against the New York Yankees. Jose Altuve has been the bane of the New York Yankees' existence, and he's going to be a lifer because he's absolutely worth the money. Carlos Gray is the same way. He was a top-flight pick. Yes, for a few years, he dealt with injuries, but he's gotten past all that. And when he's out there, he is performing at a very high level. Nothing but respect for the man. And if we're going to be honest, he needs to be re-signed. You can't let this guy go somewhere else. George Springer didn't hurt nearly as much because of the fact you had so many other different weapons to choose from. George Springer, in his first year with the Blue Jays, wasn't the same guy. Now, of course, there are people probably like, oh, he played for the Astros, so there was no banging of the trash cans. I don't necessarily think that's the case at all with this team. 
The Astros are a team that's going to out fundamental you to no end. Like will like basically throttle you. And it's highly, I mean highly entertaining stuff. It's it's great theater. This Astros team is like they're getting there. I can't wait to see what this team does. I would love for them to finally shove it in people's faces and beat the Rays in the ALDS and make it to the World Series and and shove it down the Dodgers' throats again or whoever they play. Seems like, I mean, the Giants, thank God they beat the Dodgers last night. I was absolutely overjoyed about the fact that the Doyers lost a baseball game to the San Francisco Giants. It's not every other year. It's been a while since they've been in contention, those Giants, but, you know, I'll take them wherever I can get them. If I don't have to see those blue jerseys that the Dodgers wear at all during the postseason, I'd be happy. But no matter who you're playing, if you make it to the World Series and you win and there's no controversy, there's none of that stuff, there's none of that dark cloud surrounding it, guess what? You prove a lot of people right for rooting for you. And you also kind of do something I love to see from players. It's extending one finger in particular, not just saying you're number one, but extending that finger right next to it and saying, hey, look at what we just did. Y'all hated us? Well, hate us now because we did it the right way. And I guarantee you, a lot of people would love to see that for one guy, and that's Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker may be one of the greatest guys in the history of the sport. Never heard a bad thing about him. The toothpick and everything in between. If he wins one more go, if he makes it to the World Series and wins a championship, I'd say Dusty Baker can just walk off. Quite literally. Walk off, call it a career. He's done it all. And Dusty Baker coming back from his... He wasn't really coaching for a while before taking over after the controversy that led to the Astros, you know, firing their head coach and GM and taking over from that. Yes, he was part of the Nationals kind of front office for he's part of the manager manager for the Nationals for a couple of years, but after 2018 he wasn't really doing anything. He left. He wasn't going to return after the 2018 season. Next year the Nationals won the World Series. And Baker took over to replace A.J. Hinch. And he has kind of righted that ship in my mind. It's it's amazing seeing what he's been able to do for that franchise. I want to see them do that one more time tonight. Or tomorrow night, I should say. And get things done. And my goodness, I'm looking up at the screen right now. And boy, oh boy, Texas is looking good right about now. That's what you love to see. They're up 7-0 right now. I, again, I have this one on in the background. I'm going to be keeping tabs on it. And I, I'm absolutely just loving seeing Texas up early on right now. Again, that 11 a.m. kickoff can kind of sneak up at you if you're not ready for it. Needless to say, in Dallas, the Longhorns are more than ready for the challenge. And I'm more than ready for the challenge for another hour of sports talk. We got Ross Jackson. He'll be joining the program in about 13 minutes. But when we come back, it's Saturday. But I think it's time for some tell the truth. 
It's time to take what LSU does, and we're going to tell the truth about a lot of things. If you want to call up, 337-706-0111. We're going to talk about a lot of things about LSU, and we're going to get to that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The world-famous CD is a pretty easy-going guy for the most part. Some might consider him to be the dude of Acadiana's sports station. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There are some occasions when he does get unreasonably upset. I still don't understand why they drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. You didn't need another quarterback. You had two already. You could have wound up getting something that's going to help you out down the road offensively rather than somebody that's probably going to be more along the lines of a Garrett Grayson in the history of the Saints franchise. Let's all hope he's in a good mood this morning. Back to more Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And it's a great slate of college football games underway right now, especially in terms of top 25 matchups. And obviously the one everybody's got their eyes and ears on is the Texas-Oklahoma matchup. They're already up. Texas already up 14 to nothing. We're two minutes into the ball game, so we can't quite say those words I'm not going to say on the air about you know a certain program returning to prominence. Let's go ahead and just call it that, rather than you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna say we might we're definitely gonna say that this team is really putting themselves in a nice position right now. Outside of that game, you got Maryland up on Ohio State early three nothing. I'm surprised at that, but again, it's still early in that contest. Rutgers up on Michigan State seven nothing. Arkansas Ole Miss knotted up at nothing nothing with about seven minutes to go in the first quarter. Florida up on Vanderbilt, 7 nothing early on. I'd fully expect it to be a blowout. Tennessee up on South Carolina, 7 nothing with seven minutes to go in the first. Baylor up on West Virginia, 14-7. But outside of that, I mean, you've got another bad game. I talked about the UConn. I'm trying not to say the word I want to say because I can't really say that on the air. But the Bowling Green-Akron game is a bad contest with two teams that just haven't performed worth a damn. A one and four Akron taking on a two and three Bowling Green. Bowling Green's up seven nothing right now. But the other game I saw UConn Michigan UConn UMass is a just bleep show and then some. Because I, I just can't even begin to explain how much of a mess that one is. But let's go ahead and get into the conversation about the LSU Tigers. It's Saturday. I understand tell the truth Monday is a couple days away, but I feel like telling the truth right about now. I feel very much just wanting to say what I want to say about this LSU program and where they're at right now. Let's be honest. When the season started, I think a lot of us had high expectations, high hopes that this team would be better. I think this go-round, it's not on the team. It's on the coaching staff, if we're going to be really honest with each other. If we're going to tell the truth, and Ed Ogeron continues to do the same thing he's been doing for years, and it's saying it all comes down on me. That's why we lost. That's the reasons. I'm like, yes, that's exactly why you lost a ball game. That's exactly why you've been losing the last couple of years. But 
how are you going to improve that? You keep blaming yourself, which is justifiable because at the end of the day, you've been underwhelming. But this team has not proven itself in a lot of different ways. LSU is very much showing, hey, why I've been why I've been saying for the last year that the three year plan was executed perfectly, and it was a three year con plan to a certain extent. Now. You've got something going wrong for this program, and they're admitting guilt, but what are you going to do to improve it? You have the worst run game I have ever seen the LSU Tigers have. They're ranked damn near dead last, 128 out of 130 teams in the FBS. Seriously? You average under 100 yards a game. And this is a team for years that's been able to run with consistency. The key word there, consistency. I don't understand it. Seriously, I don't understand why this has happened. Virtually overnight, this program has gone from being prolific on offense and prolific run game for years. Go back to the Leonard Fournette, the Darius Guys days. Where are those? That's a long, long time ago, and it's not Star Wars, but it feels like it's from a galaxy far, far away. This team has just absolutely underwhelmed in every aspect of the game. And it's not because of the reasons that we typically do. People want to say this program's in disarray. You need to kind of reassess what a disarray, a definition of, of disarray is because that ain't it chief you want to see disarray go look at the tail end of the last miles era go look at the last miles team from 2011 when you had the starting quarterback get suspended for getting in a bar fight in new orleans or getting in a bar fight and then get suspended indefinitely you put in jared lee jared lee gets you to a certain point but then all of a sudden, that whole thing changes. You decide, oh, he, he paid his debt to society, if you will. He, he took his suspension, and now it's time to bring him back. And Carl want to come back and gut you down in the long run because you didn't win the national championship because you didn't – you stuck with what brought you there to a certain extent – but you didn't ever give another opportunity to Jarrett Lee. And you damn well should have. And you kept seeing some culture issues, some cracks in that. I'm not even going to bring up the situation with, you know, Tyron Matthew. Because I think Tyron Matthew is a different conversation. He's a horse of a different color, if you will. He's a horse of a different color. Because his situation was way different than anything else. And he's atoned for that. He's owned up to it. I want to see if there's an LSU player that's owned up to some of the stuff that's happened and they've got suspended and not kicked off the team outright. There's been culture problems at LSU, but those aren't there here. Outside of the Darryl Rosenthal stuff, you haven't seen people opting out Trans, entering the transfer portal. You haven't heard 
every other day stories about players getting in trouble with the law. You're seeing Coach O's doing a lot of good. These players are doing the right things. Stealing a phrase from Mike Gundy during his infamous rant. These players are doing the right things. I'm not going to go ahead and like accost them for anything. To a certain extent, it starts at the ground level. It starts with the guy at the top. And it's the CEO. In this case, it's Coach Ed Ogeron. And I'm not even bringing up anything that's happened behind the scenes. Some of the stuff that has popped up on social media. Which, speaking of which, I'll go ahead and get this out there. What Coach O said on the Coach O Show on Wednesday in response to a troll, which honestly should have been screened a lot better. Coach O, I'm 99% certain he said that line before at a LSU Rotary Club meeting that was in front of cameras. I'm 99% certain he said that line before. Nobody made a mention of it. But he says it in 2021 when the team's bad. And again, I had him... I had the floor at 8-4. I think that that floor, that bottom has dropped out at this point. But I think he said it back then. Nobody said anything, but now they, they catch it on a hot mic on radio. But whenever you have video cameras rolling for that Rotary Club and people are able to see that video footage and nobody says anything, it makes you wonder why that was brought up in the first place by certain people in the media. I get J-Boy is such a big influencer in the media world, especially in sports media and SEC football, and he got that video with a lot of run because of the fact that the guy used J-Boy as his handle. I think to a certain extent, you should have been able to differentiate between the real J-Boy and this internet troll. Again, just my opinion. But we'll go out to the 103.7 The Game hotline now. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, I'm listening to you. First of all, I'm not an old fan, but... I think O was well in his right to say what he said on that call. May may have been no, a little exactly. harsh. It may be not what a head football coach does, but I didn't think it was that harsh. No, exactly. Like you know, the, I mean, first of all, like I understand completely where he's coming from because, again, I think he said the exact same thing under the exact similar pretenses, at least. So I think that there's nothing wrong with it. People are just blown away out of proportion. And what the deal is, I just think O is not a great. CEO. I mean, you got to realize when he got hired three, four years ago, would any other top 50 school in the country hire him? No. Would any nope. of the top 50 school in the country hire him now if he gets fired? So overall, just probably not the best hire, but he was the right guy at the time. He just has a problem with attracting coaches and hiring the right people. I mean, that's his flaw. And I'd agree and with that's you. Probably, and that's probably why he shouldn't be in the position he's in. But, you know, that's that's the call they made. And that was the call they got to make to get rid of him. Exactly. And they're going to make that call. I, I appreciate you making the right call and calling into this show at 337-706-0111. And when it comes to his future, I talked about it a lot last week. I think Ed Ogeron sticks around to the end of the year. But that's boring some things. I think obviously – if things continue to go like sour and you are losing your ass off to Kentucky, Florida, I think that's inevitable. That's going to be a beatdown. You lose that one. Alabama, you lose big. I think that's inevitable. Arkansas, who you've been able to kind of handle in the Ed Ogeron era. Because remember, 
the tail end of the last miles era, you were losing that game because that was the hangover game. You've got Texas A&M down the road. You've got ULM. If you struggle against ULM, I think Ed Ogeron, even if he wins that game, he's gone. But I think he is going to stick around until the end of the season just based off of what I think and how I think the rest of the season is going to go. Because I think outside of tonight's game against Kentucky, because I still think they have a good chance of winning that game. Not a great chance, but a good chance. Because if they don't, it's going to be a long, long season. It'll be a long, long time before Edo gets another win. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. And we'll come back. Is it too early to flip the panic switch to uh, the New Orleans Saints and their hopes and dreams falling apart at the seams? We'll get to Ross Jackson. Maybe he'll talk me off the ledge a little bit. And we'll also have a little fun talking about what happened last weekend against the New York Giants. Right here on 1037 The Game at 1037 thegamecom Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And we gave this guy the week off because we talked to him filling in for David Grubb last week on a Wednesday. So I don't want to have him on twice in one week. Obviously, not much probably was going to change. But it's great to give him a Saturday off. But now we bring him back aboard the 1037 The Game hotline. That's our guy, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast. And also, I'd say he does a great job for the Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother. Doing very well, man. Appreciate all that. and Glad to be back here with you, man. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing pretty darn well, and I think I'm no longer going to give you any like Saturdays off because I feel like every time I get, I take a Saturday off or I give you one Saturday off because a couple weeks ago, LSU was playing a 9 a.m. game, 11 a.m. game, <laughs> so I didn't have a show. They lost. I give you off last week. They lose, but for what it's worth, I think to a certain extent, I, I was thinking about this before the show started, and I started to think I feel a lot like Kel at the end of Keenan and Kel during one particular episode because I feel like a giant jinx. I, here's how I felt after the Saints-Giants game. I... <laughs> Drop the screw! That's how I felt after the game, Ross, because I, I said all week I was going with the Saints-Giants in my Survivor League and you know, you never go with your heart on those kind of picks. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it in uh, admittance and, and atone here and say that I dropped the screw in the tuna. I'm the reason why the Saints lost to the Giants. No, I don't think it's entirely your fault. Uh, I think that there are a lot of things that, that, uh, that factored into it. Maybe you played a small role. Uh, in you know going with your heart in those situations, no. But I, I you know I think that there was there was a lot going on in that game that led to uh, that led to a disappointing loss for the first home game in 636 days for that team. Uh, you know with full capacity and everything. First time that had happened over 630 days, and so uh, and it all kind of culminated in the fourth quarter in overtime, which is not when you want to have your sort of uh, struggles in the NFL. And you know it was amazing just to see how things went in that contest because I mean, the Saints were 
kind of firmly in control of that contest. And to a certain extent, it's it's been mind-boggling to see how some of Sean Payton's play calling was because that was something that stuck to me as one of the biggest reasons why they lost that contest this past Sunday because you just didn't have that like flash to it. Do you think, it, to a certain extent, that Sean Payton's playing scared to a certain extent on offense? I don't think necessarily playing scared, but I do see that there's you know a lack of familiarity amongst this offense. I mean, the only piece on this offense that Sean Payton is familiar with and that this team is familiar with is Alvin Kamara, and that's it. And that's why you've seen you know Alvin Kamara set career highs and carries over the last two games. He did it against the New England Patriots, did it again against the uh, New York Giants, and he got up to 26 carries, and he had his fourth 100-yard you know rushing game, his fourth 20-plus um, uh, yard carry. I mean, 20-plus carry game as well. And so, you know, that's, I think that that's more so what this is as these other pieces start to come back and, you know, your two most important players on your offensive line and your blindside left tackle as well as your, you know, protection calling center, those come back. You, Michael Thomas comes back, Trick One Smith comes back, then all of a sudden there are more known commodities in terms of having multiple years in the system and, you know, not being second to third year uh, players as well, particularly as, as pass catchers. And so I think that that has more to do with it than any type of fear or lack of trust, which has been a big conversation. I think we've we kind of conflated trust and familiarity. I think familiarity is just as much a culprit here in terms of what the play calling has looked like here at the beginning of the season than anything else. Talking now, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast. And you bring up Alvin Kamara, and it was wild to see the fact this was his first game ever, ever in the NFL without a reception and we saw a lot more Taysom Hill taking away some of his cookies I, I was I was definitely flabbergasted by that as well it's like it felt like to a certain extent you bring up Alec Mary being the only guy really familiar with I think Sean Payton started to let things be put in the hands of Taysom Hill to a certain extent in terms of getting that spark plug out there and to a certain extent it pays off like gangbusters case in point he had a couple big touchdown runs in the red zone but then you have a moment where he throws a deep ball when he's not necessarily known as a deep ball guy, and it goes right into the hands of a Giants defender. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think, you know, Taysom Hill in the red zone is going to continue to be a theme just like it has been over the past couple of years. And, you know, that's going to impact Alvin Kamara as a, you know, touchdown scorer, fantasy point scorer, and, and, and all of that. Because we've seen Alvin Kamara have you know double-digit touchdowns several times over the course of his career, most of the time that's also accompanied with double-digit red zone touchdowns as well. But now we're seeing Taysom Hill get you know two in a game, and you know he gets a lot of these touches in, in the red zone. So that's going to impact Alvin Kamara. But the interesting thing is, you know, you, you look at Alvin Kamara not having any receptions in this past game, and some of that has to do with the fact that the game plan had to shift in terms of how the backs were used out of the backfield when Tony Jones Jr. was injured. Those carries that would usually go to Tony Jones Jr. ended up going to Alvin Kamara, and so they ended up taking a lot of the passing game a little bit to kind of keep some of those touches and therefore some of those hits off of him uh, throughout the game. And then, you know, also let's just give some credit to the New York Giants too. You know, don't let me not give them credit. They did a good job guarding him. And, and you know, the first big run, quote unquote, by Alvin Kamara in that game was actually a pass. It's just that it was thrown backwards, so it counts as a run. You know, so. I think that you know you saw them wanting to get him involved early, and I think you'll see that against the Washington football team this weekend. So they'll get him involved in the in the in the passing game early, sort of the way that they kind of corrected their um, you know sort of atone for their sins when they only gave him two carries in the entire first half of the Carolina game. Then they turned around and gave him three carries right off the bat up against New England the very next week. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see Alvin Kamara catch a couple of early passes here against the Washington football team to get him going in that element of the game because they need him in that role because that helps to stretch the defense horizontally and opens up the middle of the field for a better passing attack and also a better running attack when you go back between the tackles. Talking right now, Ross Jackson locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. But let's flip over to the defensive side of the football because that was something else I noticed a lot. They just got tore up on these like chunk plays and also third down conversions like down the stretch. Danny Dimes, a guy who I've like kind of wondered why they the Giants picked him, looked godlike against this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, look, the Saints did a good job for the first three quarters of this game. They only allowed 199 passing yards, 10, uh, 10 points to be scored. And then over the course of the fourth quarter and then the one overtime drive, that flipped to 203 passing yards allowed and 17 points. So, and, you know, all of those pretty much coming from uh, passing uh, passing plays with the exception of the game winner in overtime when um, Saquon Barkley ran up the right side there. But, yeah, I think that you know, you saw the New York Giants do a really good job game planning and making some adjustments. Not necessarily game planning, let's say making adjustments uh, against the Saints' man defense. They ran a lot of mesh concepts, a lot of crossing concepts that got their you know playmakers open. They finally started using Kadarius Tony. They hadn't used Kadarius Tony the entire season, and then all of a sudden it was against New Orleans that they figured out like, oh, this guy can do things when we put the ball in his hand, which they should have figured out a long time ago. But unfortunately, they waited until they were in New Orleans to figure it out. And, you know, he had a couple of nice ones. And I think tackling was a big deal for the New Orleans Saints as well. You had one you know, receiver for the, the, the Giants that caught a pass and just bounced off Malcolm Jenkins like a pinball and ran, the other, ran up the sideline on the opposite side. And, you know, I think that tackling was a big deal for this team and something that Paulson and Debo said that they worked on quite a bit over the, course of the, uh, over the course of the week here, getting ready for their upcoming game tomorrow. And I think that had a huge amount to do with it. The Saints, you know, generally not a yards after catch team, right? They don't allow a lot of yards after catch and they allowed almost 50% of the yardage that they gave up in the passing game to yards after catch in this one. And that's always going to cause you some trouble on the defensive side. And, you know, looking at that game coming up tomorrow, you've got a big game. It's Washington football team heading into that bye week. How important is it to get this win heading into that bye week and looking at three and two, and especially because when you look two weeks ahead, you're not going to look ahead against Washington football team. There's no way, especially after what you did against the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. But knowing what you have against the Seattle Seahawks, now Sands, Russell Wilson, the schedule looks a lot easier. And I know one of our guys who hosts a morning show here on 103.7 The Game mentioned the fact that he'd be happy with 3-3. Three and three, But if you're 3-2 and two and you're also looking down the barrel of, oh, hey, you got Seattle without Russell Wilson, you're starting to look a little bit better and maybe smiling a little bit more at how much things are going for that program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, you go into this bye week three and two, it gives you a much better scenario in terms of setup, in terms of what you're looking at after that bye week, because you've got Seattle, then you've got Tampa, then you've got another division game against Atlanta, and then you're on the road to Philly, and then you're doing this you know, short week with the Thanksgiving game in a little bit after that as well against Buffalo. And then you've got another Thursday game against the Cowboys who look really, really good. And their defense finally has some clarity with Dan Quinn doing a good job there. It's amazing what happens when Dan Quinn doesn't have to be a head coach and he can just focus on defense. And so I think that, you know, getting getting as far ahead of your schedule as you can at this point is, is really beneficial. And, you know, through the first, if you were told me at the beginning of the season that, hey, through the first 
six games, this New Orleans Saints team with a first-year quarterback, first year in their system, quarterback without Michael Thomas, without you know two of their starting offensive linemen for a, a portion of the season, and without their number two wide receiver, and you know so on and so forth, all the injuries that they've had to deal with, that they would come out of that four and two, then you'd feel really good about that. And I'd probably tell you that you're being a little bit too optimistic, but the Saints have that reality ahead of them right now, especially if they can get out into the bye week three and two. Sean Payton's always been one of the best coaches when it comes to coming off the bye week. You know, you know, regardless of whether Russell Wilson is under center or you know it's going to be Geno Smith under center, it's still going to be a very, very challenging game in Seattle going up against the Seahawks who have incredible receiver talent and you know have a good run game that they can get going as well. So no matter what, that's going to be a challenging game. But if they can set themselves up for a chance at four and two heading to Seattle, uh, against a Russell Wilson-less uh, Seattle Seahawks team, it's a really good position for them to be in as they continue to move forward. And so this game Sunday is about as much of a quote-unquote must-win as you can have in the moment this early in the season. Who's going to have to step up the most tomorrow in your mind? I think it's going to be the receiving core for the Saints. I mean, that to me becomes the thing. And I could look at the defense, but you know, the defense had a bad quarter and a drive. I'm not going to sit there and look at them like, the guy from Waterboy and say, oh, no, now we suck again. You know, it, it's not that type of a situation. Like, the Saints defense isn't all of a sudden bad. They had a bad quarter and a possession at the worst time possible, and that stinks, and that led to a loss, and I don't think that that's going to happen again. So I'm not going to look at the defense in particular, but for me, I am curious about this wide receiver core. If there is going to be a game where the wide receiver core gets production, it's going to be up against this Washington football team secondary that has struggled so far this season. They're you know, near the top of the NFL in passing yards allowed. They're second in the NFL right now with 10 passing touchdowns allowed. Every member of that secondary has allowed a passer rating individually over 100 when targeted. I mean, they have struggled quite a bit. And so for me, it's that receiving core that needs to step up and I think has a good chance to do so. I got one more for you, Ross. So we talked about Russell Wilson. He's out with a hand injury. Is Aaron Donald just basically trying to stack up fingers right now? Like, I, I, what the hell is going on? I know he's like going home and just like etching fingers into his wall every time he takes a finger out. It's it's it was remarkable. Like I I had seen oh no Russell Wilson's hurt. Then when they ran back on the replay and then they were like oh it was Aaron Donald telling it. I was like oh here we go again. Aaron Donald coming for fingers. He's snatching them up. Uh, yeah I don't know. It, it was a wild situation. I did not expect that to be the case. But hey you know what? Look Aaron Donald impacts the game. And uh, apparently a lot of fingers are impacted by Aaron Donald. So it's the trade-off you're going to get. Hide your quarterbacks. Aaron Donald's out here just taking <laughs> taking hands. All right. That's right. Everybody glove up. Everybody glove up. <laughs> exactly. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks because I'm off again next week. Thankfully, it's a bye week, so I don't think we'll be affected. All right. Well, we'll keep a close eye on all the other Louisiana football teams, but I'm not around for that Saturday, though. We'll just keep exactly. a close eye on everything else going on around the state. Yeah. I appreciate you, buddy. Always a pleasure, man. Hi, Ross. Take it easy, man. We'll we'll talk to you next week. Just my God, we need we need some good stuff happening involving Louisiana football because it's not necessarily looking all that great. But we're gonna take a quick timeout, wrap up the show with one final take, and it's definitely NFL related. We'll get to that when we come back. Right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? 
or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Man, Urban Meyer, big yikes. I'll just go ahead and say that much. It is not a great look if you're the head of your table and Jacksonville. Number one, I think it's just a bad look in general. The fact you want to stay in Cincinnati after you lost in the last moments to the Bengals. It's a bad look, first of all, to do that. To leave your team, to say, hey, team, go ahead and travel to Jacksonville. I'll stay in Ohio. Bad look there. That's number one. Number two, then you go ahead and are out there at a club, at a bar, and some pictures and video do come out. It's, it's bad look. And the fact that you're a married man, that's even worse. And now it feels like things are just crashing down. And I'll, I'll throw this hot take out there, and if he sticks around, I'll own up and say it was a bad take, but I think it's the right take. Urban Meyer will not be coaching football after the season in the NFL. He won't be coaching the NFL again if he somehow somebody gets a job. And I saw this poll question from First Cup. First of all, the fact that Professor believes these three choices are even a option as being the next head coach at LSU is absurd and dumb. He put Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, Urban Meyer. You're not touching Hugh Freeze with a 10-foot pole. Urban Meyer, I'm definitely not wanting. Lane Kiffin ain't going to jump from Ole Miss to LSU. I don't think so. At least that's the way I think. I think you got to look somewhere else, pal. I'm going none of the above on that poll question, by the way. That was just like dumb on his part to even think that's going to be an idea. That's just how I am. But my God, this has been a fun show. And it's even more fun because... Texas is up 28 to 7. My God. Could Texas be, you know, returning to like the conversation? I don't know. But it's fun so far. Let's keep the fun going. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Be back with you in two weeks' time off next Saturday. And we're out of time. Peace. <laughs>